I'm feeling energized. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's good. We're going to have a look at James chapter 1. And uh, I've called this, uh, I kind of wish I didn't call it this, but it was too late by the time we started doing um, the different uh, posts for it. So love has handles. Makes me think of love handles. And it's not that. Uh, love has handles. If you think of a, a door being opened, love actually opens doors. And there's, there's things that God wants to do in you that actually will only happen through His course of love through you. There's things that He wants to do uh, in you, uh, the transformation that He wants to do in you. And it's only going to happen through His love. And so we're going to get a little bit of a, a teaser or a taste of that today. And I've, I've titled this sermon, Uncomplicated. And yet I feel like it's such a complicated book um, to look at. But the reason why it's uncomplicated is because what God wants to do you, in you is actually very simple. What He wants to do in you and through you and the relationships that you have around you, in your workplace, in your family's life, is actually very simple. It's not complicated. And yet we complicate things Time and time again. And it's easy to complicate things. Sometimes we complicate things because we fear the outcome. What if God doesn't come through? I better get my hands busy and do something about it. I better work harder. Sometimes uh, fear will cause us to withdraw altogether. You might be somebody who just works harder in the midst of chaos or in the midst of trial. Or you might be somebody who withdraws completely. And in withdrawing, you're just hoping that it will just all blow away. Neither really work. They don't actually bring about the change that you're hoping for. But we complicate things around how to fix things, how to control the outcomes, how to actually uh, make sure that somebody doesn't take that job that we wanted or how to actually uh, bring about a, a change in our workplace. We complicate things. It's really uncomplicated. It's really quite simple. And so I want to read firstly from uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, through to verse 8. Are you with me? James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. We'll get it up on the screens for you as well. Consider it pure joy. Say pure joy. Who would like joy in their life? Great. I'm not going to say God send them a trial, but consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face, what's that word? Trials. Hang on a minute. Here's a trick verse. <laughs> I want joy, but I don't want what comes with it. Right? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, there are many kinds of different trials. There can be hardships. There can be persecution, health issues, uh, financial issues. You name it, there's so many different kinds of trials. He says, no matter what kind of trial you're facing right now, and maybe if you're not facing any trials right now, just consider this for a moment because it's not going to be trialless forever. You will come up against another trial. You've been through trials in the past. Some you've gone through not so well, and you'll probably go around that mountain again. Others you've done well. And James is going to give you some insights into how to uncomplicate your trials. Uh, consider pure joy my, joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, say faith, faith. produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature. Say mature. And be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Good advice. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. That just simply means that He will give to you without you having to work for it. He'll show you the way forward, whether you feel like you have your life altogether or not. Praise God. He'll give it to you without finding fault and it will be given to you. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Okay, so he talks about wisdom from the Lord. Then he talks about also somebody who's holding God's wisdom in one hand and he's holding his own wisdom in the other. And he's thinking, I don't know, I'm going to hold on to my own wisdom just in case. I'm going to control that matter. I'm going to try and uh, move through it in the way that is my, in my own strength. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to work harder, whatever it might be. And I'm going to still try and hold on to God's wisdom. I just hope that he comes through. I'm praying that he'll actually answer my prayer and so on, right? They're holding on to both things. He says, Whenever you're holding on to two things at once, one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus, you always bear the fruit of the lesser kind. You always do. This is a call to grabbing hold of his wisdom completely. Holus bolus. The whole lot. Take it. He says, step right over. Stop just making a little bit of Jesus. I want you to take all of Jesus. You want revival? You want transformation in your life? Then take everything of him. Amen. Amen. Now he says that when you actually persevere in faith, when you find yourself uh, taking a hold of his wisdom, he says it's so that you may be mature and complete. This is a, a phrase that's used several times by some of the different apostles. And they say this in a way of saying mature in Christ, becoming the full maturity of Jesus Christ, everything of Him. That's what transformation looks like. That's what revival looks like. Is Jesus in you? Take everything of Him. So notice he says that uh, when you're, you're in trials, this is a place where it actually projects you forward to something you weren't ready to take a hold of before. It actually reduces all the complication around you because you've got less things to choose from and calls you to bring to the surface the things that really matter. And faith at that point comes to the surface, whether you have faith or lack faith, uh, it comes to the surface at a time of trial because you end up asking the question, what really matters now that everything's been stripped away? And so faith is being tested at this point. Now, if we were to say faith is simply around whether I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, whether I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, then that would be one element of faith. But actually, James is diving a little bit deeper than just the intellectual belief that Jesus is Lord. We find if we were to flick forward to 
chapter 2, verse, excuse me, 26. In the second half of this verse, James says, So faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. And faith without deeds is simply saying your faith is greater than just simply an intellectual belief. Now, hear me out. You don't have to do good works in order for you to be saved. Jesus has done it for you. We enter by faith in what Jesus has done for us. And yet faith grabs a hold of everything of Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm taking hold of what you, you want to do in my life. I'm submitting myself to you as ruler and Lord because I cannot do it myself. I want to take you to another verse. Chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, I'm going to read a, a chunk right through to 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word. Say the word. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Just uh, let me pause there for a moment. The word that is planted in you, humbly accept it. In other words, allow it to bear fruit. Allow it to do something in and through you. Let's keep reading on. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Who knows? You can say yes to Jesus and yet you can still walk in a life that is in the world. And uh, you really just said, I know that Jesus is Saviour, but you're actually deceiving yourself that you're a follower of Jesus because you've simply just said yes to Jesus, but you're not walking it out. You're not humble enough to receive the Word. Now notice he says the Word is planted in you. What happens to something that is planted? It grows. And once it grows, what do you hope to actually receive from that plant? Fruit. Is that right? Up the back there? You're getting all this as well? So fruit. Uh, This is what is happening. The Word of the Lord is planted in you. Somebody who receives the Word, they remove all other distractions. They remove the rocks in their life. They remove the weeds in their life that they know it's choking out that Word. And the good soil bears great fruit. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He says it's like someone who goes and sees himself in a mirror. Now, this is a different mirror to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, contemplate the Lord's face. So look in a mirror, as it were, and see Jesus, who you're becoming. This mirror is a mirror of who we are before we receive Christ. He says, anyone who goes and sees themselves in a mirror, they'll see, oh, I'm just a dead corpse. I'm not real... Not real handsome, not real pretty. Uh, I don't have anything of, you know, I've tried to work hard at my life. Now, who knows? 
that a dead corpse, no matter how hard they work, they're not going to actually fix up what their face looks like. They're not going to fix up any of the issues that they have. Uh, And so he's saying, when you look in a mirror, don't forget who you were, as it were. You could not change the outcome of who you were. You could not change the outcome of what sin had captured in your life. You couldn't uh, turn it around. If you could, you would have done it by now. But you needed Jesus. You needed a Saviour. Listen, if you're listening online or or here and you're like, you know what, Uh, I've tried to fix myself without a Saviour. You get to so far and you can convince yourself to a certain point. You can dress up the face. But it doesn't matter how much lipstick you put on a corpse, it's still going to smell, right? And so you cannot fix sin. Here's how I know you can't fix sin. Who here has been able to fix death? Anyone? No show of hands. The reason is, death is a result of sin. And if we could fix sin, we could fix death. And some of us say, yeah, but if I'm a fairly good person, no, no, no. You can't fix death, let alone sin. There's nothing that can remove it away. There's only one thing that can remove sin from your life and give you a completely new start. It's Jesus. It's His blood. He is the one who actually gives you a fresh new start. Amen? He is the one. He's the one who, who has the opportunity not just to give you a fresh new start, but to become the, the total, complete maturity of Christ. And you might look at yourself and go, that's impossible. No, it's not. You might say, yeah, revival's for that person over there. But not me. God couldn't do it with me. Or you might even ask the question, is it even possible that God could do revival in me? Because it seems like He skips over me and goes to others around me and they get the touch from God, but not me. No, revival's for you. Transformation is for you. Praise God. It is the best news ever. And in fact, this is so uncomplicated. It just simply means humble yourself before the Lord because as you humble yourself, you give Him permission to do His work. Well, what is the work that He wants to do in you? It's this Word that has been planted in you. What is this word? Verse 25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law. What is the perfect law? Any ideas? You might be pondering that for a moment. Let's have a look at uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. He gives a, a different word to it to help us to understand a little bit what he means by the perfect word or the perfect law. Verse 8, If you really keep the royal law. So he uses a different word this time. Perfect law, royal law, found in Scripture. What is it? Love your neighbour as yourself. It's really quite simple. Hang on a minute. So you're just telling me I don't have to, uh, I don't have to go and memorise all the Scripture of the Old Testament and place it into my life? No, it's less complicated than that. It's just simply, would you just humble yourself enough for the love of God to take its hold through you? In and through you. So uncomplicated. You want to know how to move through trials? Okay, let's come back to it. It's just simply allow the Word of God to move through you. Where the love of God is at work. Listen, he says, he uses this little word here. Firstly, faith is growing. But then he goes on to say, if you lack anything, ask for wisdom. 
Well, what kind of wisdom is he talking about? Let's have a look at chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility. Notice that word, humility. You might want to underline that. That comes from wisdom. Now, he goes on to say, now the counter, verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, notice he calls this wisdom. Whose wisdom is it? It's the world's wisdom. He goes, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. Now, notice the next word, demonic Hang on a minute. So you're saying that when I walk into the world's wisdom, when there is uh, envy or when there is boasting and I find myself in a place acting out of anger, trying to control the outcome of something, are you saying that it's demonic? No, I'm not saying it. James is. That's the great thing about the Word of God. goes on to say, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. John actually picks up on this in 1 John. He says, where there is no love, you've turned the lights off and you stumble in the dark. Every person who actually steps out of this spirit of Christ's love ends up treading on somebody else's toes. And I've done it so many times. The times that I've made my biggest mistakes have been the times I turned the lights off and decided to try and push something through in my own control. Anyone ever been there before? And it, I tell you what, it hurts when you stub your toe. It really does. And it hurts those that you've, you've actually you know, stubbed your toe against. And so he's saying, there's another way, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. I want you to get a picture of what he calls the love of God. It's pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Just pause there for a moment. This is a picture of love. We could find an equal picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he's saying, this is the wisdom of God. You want to have the wisdom of God of how to move through a circumstance where somebody who is close to you, you're having trouble seeing them move through something that you know, should be a healthy step for them, just simply find the path of love. Find the wisdom of God in how to actually work through that situation. Yeah, yeah, but I, I feel like I need to fix that person. No, no, uh, you, you've, this is what um, I remember back at school, uh, not when I was at school, but when our kids were in primary age school. Uh, one of the parents came up to Amelia, I don't know if you remember this, Amelia, and uh, went off at Amelia for something she didn't do. And the principal found out afterwards and then came up to the parent and says, you actually have role confusion. That's what he called it, role confusion. That's not your role. Your role is actually to be the parent of your own child. And sometimes we try to play the role of somebody else in fixing them and changing them, and especially so because sometimes there's so much pain coming from that relationship, from that person. If I can just fix that person, then uh, I won't have the pain anymore, but it's driven by fear 
What if I'm in that pain for longer than I want to be? Well, I've got the answer here. Consider it pure joy to be in trials because God's going to come through. Amen? He will come through. But your role is simply to love. Leave the rest to God. Uh, I was saying to somebody the other week, um, when you choose, uh, when you take on the change that is needed for somebody else, you simply just postpone their change. Because you become their change agent. But every time you're doing that, you're actually just taking the power that they have to change themselves away from them and doing it for them. The moment you step away and just say, no, actually, I'm choosing to love them. And I'm going to pray, God, it's not good for them to be in this space. But my prayers belong with you because you are the one who acts graciously with them. You're the one who brings about the change. I've got role confusion right now, you could say. God, I need to have my role straight. It's, it's centred on you. It's simply to love. Let's get rid of all the confusion. Let's make it uncomplicated. Let's just decide to love. Let's just humbly say, God, would you just use me to love? But hang on a minute. That person, they deserve all these other things. They deserve either my, uh, you know, my reprimanding or they deserve uh, you know, all these other things of, of getting what they deserve you know, out of what they've done to me. Or perhaps there's things that you feel like just needs control around certain things because maybe your finances are low or maybe there's uh, certain deficiencies within a relationship and you're just like, if I could just change that person. No, 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 that's not your job. James says, the way through to bear fruit that will last, where God will actually bless you and, and see, you'll actually see Him come through, is simply to say, I'm stepping into love. Notice He says, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. There is wisdom in humbling yourself. And He calls us into this kind of wisdom so that we would find ourselves leaning on Him in our faith. It takes no faith for me to try and control somebody. Do you know somebody can be trying to control the outcome of somebody else and still be in their room praying, God, please change them. And then wondering why God's not answering their prayers. We need to centre back onto the simple. The transformation that God wants to do in you all centres around Christ in you, which is His love and His compassion for others. And if you need reminding, just keep coming back to chapter 3, verse 17. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. He actually talks about this elsewhere, that mercy is greater than judgment uh, and impartial, sincere. All these things, just keep coming back to that. God, that's my path, isn't it? That's what you call me to. I don't know what to do about the rest of these things, but I leave it up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm active in prayer and seeing you come through in the best way possible. And instead, I'm deciding to love. I'm deciding to make sure that uh, I get my heart right. Notice this, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a what? A harvest of righteousness. 
Do you know, could it be that in your trial, in the midst of a wait, that the reason that there is a wait, because you could go and try and solve that straight away yourself and in some way release the pressure. But what if we decided, no, we're going to love and we're going to ask God for Him to come through and to build His uh, way forward. We plant the seed in faith. Do you know, it will always bear fruit. This is almost a parallel version of the very first chapter where he talks about bearing fruit. You will always bear fruit. Who wants to be fruitful? If you want to be fruitful, then plant in the love of God in every single circumstance. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life uh, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Elsewhere, it talks about that this kind of love, this kind of word that we, uh, here it is in verse 25, uh, in in chapter 1, verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, which is love, that gives, notice he says, freedom. Uh, Notice, whenever you are trying to move things yourself, Uh, you'll come away from conversations going, oh man, I should have said this. That would have changed them. Uh, Or I should have, you know, or maybe you go to bed and you're thinking of all the scenarios that you could play out. Maybe it's things that that person said, uh, things that hurt you. What are you doing? You're complicating it. No, when it comes to the love of God, it is so simple. It actually brings freedom. There's less to think about other than just the love of God. There is such freedom in being in the centre of what Jesus wants to do. Amen? Whether you're you're ministering to family, whether you're ministering at work, whether you're ministering in ministry, and you find yourself uh, wanting to see the the kinds of changes or maybe have a vision for certain things, do it out of the centre of God's love for others. Make it uncomplicated. Bring it simply back to the love of God. Do you know, the love of God simply is an invitation for you to know Him more so that you can love others the same way. And so I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to finish there and I'm going to ask you to stand and I want you to personalise this for yourself. Where are the areas that you find there's the most pressure on you right now? Where are the things that you find yourself under trial or things that you find yourself going back to Uh, your own comforts because you don't know how to move through things or you want to defer it or whatever it might be. And this morning, instead, uh, I want to encourage you to say, no, Lord Jesus, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm deciding I want the wisdom from heaven and I'm releasing wisdom that comes from the world. I'm releasing my own temptation to step in and do something for myself when you could do it for me. It's not mine to do. Help me to know what's mine, what's underneath my control and what's underneath yours. And so this morning, I want you to release those things that are not yours to control. Those things that you're not sure uh, of the outcomes. Those things that perhaps there's a, a, you're in the wait for God to move in a way that you just don't know how He's going to move. But instead, you're deciding this morning, you're saying, God, I'm releasing everything. I'm deciding I want your victory, not my own. I want everything of you in my life. 
I realize that uh, I've said yes to Jesus. Maybe there's some here this morning that have said yes to Jesus before, but they find themselves still looking at uh, themselves as perhaps it's just intellectual around their faith, but instead God's calling you. You know that He is. He's calling you to the love of God.